1: Praise the Lord, everybody. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. We're excited. Thank you so much. We're talking about the book of Revelation. We've got up to Chapter 4. We finished the churches. Chapter 4 is one of the two introductory chapters to the rest of the book. Revelation Chapter 4, Revelation Chapter 5. So far, the book of Revelation is chronological. It's keeping in order the events according to their timeline as they happen. First, John meets Jesus, and then John gets messages from the angel, from Jesus, for the seven churches. After the seven churches, we go to chapter 4, and we spent the last week or two talking to you about the rapture of the church, how the church is before the throne of God in heaven. We may have spent two or three weeks, there; I forget how many, but now I want to talk to you about chapter 4, because chapter 4 is more than the rapture. It's about the throne of God. By the way, I'm going to drift for a second. God's really laid on my heart a couple of items that I needed to speak about. So after chapter four, I think I'm going to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. It seems there's a move within the church to negate the sovereignty of God in the earth. And that's been going on. And plus something else that I'm hearing that's amazing. You can tell the rapture is close because so many doctrines are being promoted by preachers that think the church is going through the tribulation. And I know I just gave you two or three weeks on why the church is not going through the tribulation, but it's amazing. It seems the church is hellbent on going through the tribulation. I just don't get it. Most people that don't understand the timing of the rapture, it's because they don't understand what the tribulation is. It's like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. You can't understand the Constitution until you digest what's in the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence is the why, and the Constitution is the what. Well, with Daniel and the book of Revelation, it's very similar. You need to read them both hand in hand because Daniel has such great insights. Matter of fact, what uh, John writes in chapters 4 through 19, Daniel says it in four verses in Daniel 9. I'm drifting. We'll get there. But I want to continue on with Revelation chapter 4, a quick Review, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, after the letters to the seven churches. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That's chapter 4, verse 1. And it's interesting, first voice, I told you about this. It doesn't mean the first voice he heard when he got to heaven. He's talking about the prior voice. The voice I heard in Revelation chapter 1, it was the voice of Jesus. When I was facing one way, he called me from behind. I turned around and I looked because I recognized the voice, but it was different. It was no longer Jesus, the Son of Man. It was now Jesus, the Son of God in all his glory. Hallelujah. So that's the voice. So we've got evidence once more that it's Jesus calling John, up into heaven. That's a picture of Jesus calling the church up during the rapture. Hallelujah. Verse two, and immediately, that's another rapture word in a sense, because we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, just like John was. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. So the thing that catches John's eye in Revelation chapter 4 is the throne and the one that sat on the throne. The main topic of Revelation chapter 4, I know I really focused on the rapture, but that is not the main topic of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, the main topic is of the throne. All things written here are written as to how they relate to the throne of God. Here it is revealed that the place of the soon coming judgments upon the earth, beginning in chapter 6, we're in our Bible study, we're studying chapter 9. It's just an amazing wealth of information about what's going on. But here it's revealed that the place of the soon coming judgments upon the earth, beginning in chapter 6, that those judgments originate from the throne of God. This throne is the centerpiece of John's vision. Verse 3, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto the emerald. This is interesting because he's not describing God. You really can't describe God. Uh, Earthly words don't do it justice, but he's not seeing God. He's seeing the environment upon which God is. He sees a stone of jasper and sardine. There was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto a green emerald. So he hasn't really seen God. He's just describing what's around him. There is no specific form ascribed to God in this chapter. Throughout scripture, actually, there never is. He is always seen as pure light. There is one throne in heaven, and there is one God who sits on it. It's not man. It's not any demon. It's not the devil. There is no description of the divine being, so as to point out any similitude, shape, or dimensions. The description rather aims to point out the surrounding glory and effulgence than the person of the Almighty King. Commentator Clark put it that way. It is the true picture of the sovereignty of God. His throne is in heaven, way above mankind, mankind's kingdom, mankind's so-called throne, high above puny man and his doings. It's a true picture of God and the universe being subject to the dominion of an omnipotent God. John Walford wrote that. Speculation abounds concerning the meaning of the white and red stones that are used to describe what John saw. And it's pretty simple. You look in the Old Testament. Like a jasper stone, that's one of the phraseologies that's used. And it's a representation of the 12 stones that were on the priest's breastplate. And basically, I find this interesting. The two stones that are described, the first one, the high priest wore these. uh, He had them all on his breastplate. The jasper stone was the first, also signifying Reuben, the firstborn of the tribes of Israel. And the sardius, of course, represents Benjamin, the lastborn. So to me, you've got the firstborn and the lastborn. I think this is indicative of God and his relationship with Israel. That's the good news. The bad news is coming. These stones represented the first and the last and could possibly represent all the other tribes as well. A picture that perhaps along with the greenish rainbow is a picture of God's covenant with the earth and the people of the earth. Such a picture that might indicate that even in the midst of God's fiery indignation and righteous judgment, the release of his terrible judgment, and the wrath upon the Jew and the earth dwellers, he would not forget his covenant with Israel. Remember the rainbow. The rainbow is not there for us. It's not there to go ahead and remind us that we're in covenant with God. No, Genesis says that God put the bow in the sky to remind himself of his covenant so that he would not destroy mankind again. It's like putting a string on your finger. Well, God doesn't need strings. I don't know if he's got fingers. I guess he does. But praise the Lord. He wants to remind himself, I'm in covenant relationship with the earth, with mankind. I will not destroy it by flood. (laughs) Hallelujah. He's going to destroy it by fire next time. But that's another topic for another day. The jasper and the sardius stone are the first and the last of these 12 stones representing the tribes of Israel. The jasper represented Reuben and uh, the firstborn of Jacob. The sardine stone represented Benjamin, the youngest. Of the twelve sons of Jacob. In other words, the two stones represented the first and the last, and therefore may be regarded as inclusive of all the other stones in between, that is, the whole of the covenant people Israel. The rainbow round about the throne, the brilliant light emanating from the throne resembled a rainbow of emerald hues. The rainbow was given as a sign following Noah's flood to remind God of his covenant never again to destroy all flesh with a flood. The green colors of the rainbow are meant to represent the earth in this covenant relationship, because the earth and man, they go together, like the Holy Spirit and the church. Hallelujah. Verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. This is quite significant. I probably mentioned it to you a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the rapture of the church and who were these twenty-four elders And you got to understand, let's break it down. Round about the throne were 24 elders and upon the seats I saw 24 elders sitting. The people that are in the seats are sitting, sitting representing that their work is finished. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Crowns, meaning they have accomplished their task. Their work is done and they have received their reward. This is fascinating. Before anything else, John notices the 24 seats. Even before he notices those who sat on them. Seats, that's probably a poor translation. It really is thronos. And these are lesser thrones in the presence of the God on the throne. But they are thrones nonetheless. We're sitting, our work is done, we've got crowns, we have received our rewards. Many commentators say many things about who these elders are, but if we read on, we will see a Bible truth confirmed. The Bible usually interprets itself, and there's no question that that's what happens here. If we go to the next chapter, Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, they're singing a song. The elders, the angels are singing, and the elders sing their song, and the elders, in the singing of their song, they reveal to us who they are. And when he, the lamb, had taken the book, the slain lamb, when the slain lamb had taken the book out of the hand of the creature, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, singing, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. This is great. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. To God, by thy blood, out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Right there, we have discovered both who the elders are and who they are not. They are been called out of every nation, every tongue, every tribe. They are Gentiles who have been saved. They are the church. And it's interesting because there's no reference to Israel there. Every one of them harps and golden bowls full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, they have redeemed us to God by Thy blood from every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. That is not Israel. The 24 elders are the church. They are the raptured church. the redeemed of the Lord. Nobody else. The Old Testament Jews were not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, during this time. And it's fitting that they are before the throne of God. The Jews have not received any reward yet. No, they're far from it. The earth dwellers, they're not getting any reward. Their reward will be hell, unfortunately. Only the church had an assignment which is completed at this time. And so that's why they're seated. Their job is done. That's why they have crowns. They've been rewarded for what they've done. Right out of Revelation, we're going to be crowned. And it's in... Interesting to see. They sing the song, they reveal themselves who they are. Any mention of somebody else uh, trying to claim that these are Jews, these are 12 Jewish tribes and 12 church tribes? No the Jews have not received a reward yet. You got to understand those crowns are significant. They eliminate everybody else. The only people who've received a crown that we read about in the kingdom of God is the church. At this time, it's significant that the church is seated before the throne of God, before any of these seals, any of these trumpets, any of these golden bowls or vials are opened up, releasing the judgment of God upon the earth. No other group, no Jew, no earth dweller has rewards at this time. Their judgment is still awaiting them, while the church, already having judged itself, is crown worthy. The church has received her crown. They continue to intercede along with the ministry of Jesus. First Corinthians 11.31 For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And that's exactly what happens. Yet the earth dwellers need to be judged. Israel, the tribulation, is the judgment of God upon a nation, a Jew, a people that have rejected him. Christians, some of us, we seem like we're determined to go through the part of the tribulation or all of it even. And that's their choice, okay? But know that there is a demonic move within today's church to do just that. Get Christians to screw up biblical doctrine and have them miss out on the rapture. There are people that are saying, well, you know, Somebody came to a church the other day, and they were saying, you know, only 52% of the church, 52% of the uh, world is unreached, unpreached to. Uh, We've not done our job yet. And those numbers are false, by the way. I've done some checking. The number's probably closer to 22 to 25% of the world, of the ethnic groups, of the tribes that have not heard the gospel. And it's even less than that because there's no way to figure it out accurately. But suffice it to say, a quarter of the people in the earth perhaps have not heard the gospel. And so these evangelists and these preachers come to town and they tell you, well, half the world hasn't received the gospel yet. The church isn't going anywhere until we get that job done. Because uh, what was it called? The uh, Great Commission, where God says, go out and preach. Technically, what he said was go out and minister to all nations. Really, what he's saying is, I want you to preach to everybody, everywhere, anytime, under any circumstances. That's what the Great Commission is. If you've got to go to India to do it, great. If you've got to go to Timbuktu to do it, great. If you've got to go to your neighbor's house to do it, great. But the point is, while the church is on the earth, they are charged with preaching the gospel everywhere, every time. Be instant, in season, and out of season. And that's fine. But to say that the church doesn't get raptured, can't get raptured, because uh, we haven't preached to everybody in every town would be false. Because what makes us think that the church is the only entity that God has told to preach the gospel? That's false. There are other groups of people, other entities that God's called to preach the gospel. Number one is the 144,000 they're going to be placed here during the tribulation. They have a particular assignment to mainly preach the gospel to the Jew, but preach the gospel they will. So when you remove the church, God always has a witness. When you remove the church out of the earth, you're not ending the opportunity to preach the gospel. That's false. We don't need to wait until everybody has heard the gospel on the entire planet until we get raptured. That's just not true. The danger of that false doctrine is it takes the urgency out of our getting ready for the return of Christ. We need to look at these little foxes that come in there to keep us lazy, to keep us passive about doing the business of the kingdom, about being expectant when Jesus is coming back. There are so many evident signs in the world today, whether it's the apostasy worldwide and in the church whether it's the advent and the increase of lawlessness, whether it's the increase of homosexuality, whether it's the rewriting laws that violate the word of God. I mean, wars and rumors of war, ethnic conflicts going throughout the world. I mean, the rebirth of Israel, May 14th, 1948. All of these are signs of an imminent rapture of the church. Whether someone thinks that we can't go until the gospel is preached to everybody. You've got the church preaches the gospel when they're left, when they get taken out. The 144,000 preach the gospel. You've got the two witnesses who are going to preach the gospel. And at the end of the day, when everybody's gone, you have angels, an angel, flying through the heavens, preaching the everlasting gospel of the kingdom. God's got it all covered. Quit thinking that God needs man to do it all. We just need to do our part. Our part is to make disciples of all men to preach the gospel everywhere, all the time, to whomever we meet. That's our assignment. God will take us out when he deems that we are ready. You understand that? Very, very important. So we see that the church is already in heaven. Now we see that the tribulation is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. That comes after the church. Revelation 4 and 5 reveals the story about uh, the church in heaven, about the slain lamb uh, who has a book to open up. I don't know. It doesn't tell you what book it is. I don't believe it's the book of life. I don't believe it's the book of remembrance found in Malachi 3. The book of remembrance, God writes in a book the conversations that we have one another about Him. When we talk about Him, He puts it in the book of remembrance. It would be like me meeting somebody and I want to talk about my family and I take out my wallet and I show them pictures of my wife and my children, maybe my car. (laughs) But God doesn't use pictures, He uses words. And so he writes our conversations in the Book of Remembrance. I find that fascinating. And you'll see where he used it when he was talking uh, to the devil about Job. Have you not seen my my servant Job? And it's really interesting. That's why we saw it in the Book of Kings when Mordecai, uh, his name was found in the Book of, of the Kings when Esther wanted to go to bat for the Jews. And we saw the king was reading one night. God caused the king to be reading. And he opened up the book of the kings. And sure enough, there was the uh, tale about the deeds that Mordecai did. Just really interesting stuff. Understand, though, that once again, the tribulation doesn't show up until Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. So one cannot fully understand the timing of the rapture without knowing what the tribulation is. The tribulation is the judgment of God upon a people that have rejected him, both Jew and Gentile. If you have accepted his Messiah, then you don't belong in the time period that's called the tribulation. It is not for you. Remember when we talked about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it refers to the fact that the Antichrist, something is restraining him, something is restraining him, and he will not be revealed until his time. The Antichrist has a time. The tribulation has a time. The church has a time. The church belongs in the age of grace. The Antichrist belongs in the day of tribulation, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The judgment of the Jew takes place in the great and terrible day of the Lord. Everything has a time. God's got it all worked out tremendously. The church does not belong in the time of the tribulation. If you want to understand more on the rapture of the church, go study the tribulation. It will tell you who belongs there and what they're doing there. Verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We probably won't get past verse five today, but that's okay. The throne. This is where God is sitting. It is no longer the throne of grace that is spoken about in Hebrews. Remember, let us boldly therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. That time is past. Now, this is a throne of judgment and wrath. How can I say that? Because out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. That sounds an awful lot like uh, Mount Moriah, was it? When Moses went up to the mount and you saw the anger and the fury of God. It's very similar. Oh, I even wrote that down. This throne is the throne of judgment and wrath. Lightnings and thunderings is the same description when God um, was on Mount Sinai with Moses. God is revealing himself in this scene as the ruler of the universe. I love it. God is revealing himself in this scene as the ruler of the universe, ready to make the universe right once more through a magnificent display of his holy anger and power. Lightnings and thunder are just the prelude for what is about to come. The seven lamps are fire burning. These are representative of the seven spirits of God. Actually, they are the seven spirits of God. Or more specifically, they are the representation of the ministry and the anointing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit upon his church. Isaiah eleven two references that. And uh, let's count them. And the spirit of the Lord, one, shall rest upon him, Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord, one. The Spirit of Wisdom, two. The Spirit of Understanding, three. The Spirit of Counsel, four. The Spirit of Might, five. The Spirit of Knowledge, six. And the Spirit of the Fear of the Lord. All of these are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus Christ, which is also the same manifestation upon his church. So, so far in the heavenly scene, we've got God on his throne in judgment and wrath. We see the 24 elders sitting on their thrones, In their robes of righteousness, finished from their labors, their earthly labors, victorious and overcoming, wearing their crowns. So you've got the four creatures also. Where am I? You've got the four creatures and we see the Holy Spirit of God in his fullness with Jesus upon the ministry. Remember, where the Holy Spirit is, the church is. Where the church is, the Holy Spirit is. When the Holy Spirit came to the earth in Acts uh, 2, where did he go? Did he go upon Rome, the powers in Rome? No. He went to the church. He baptized the church in the Holy Spirit and fire, just like Jesus promised. And then earlier in John 15 and 16, I think, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the comforter. He will never leave you. He will never leave you. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. So, where the Holy Spirit is, the church is. Where the church is, the Holy Spirit is perfectly fitting in in Revelation chapter 4, you've got the seven spirits of God in heaven, the Holy Spirit, and you've got the church in heaven. They belong there. They go together. If the church is in heaven, the Holy Spirit has to be in heaven because he's in the church. If the Holy Spirit's in heaven, the church has to be there because the Holy Spirit's in the church. You've got to understand, it's like soup and sandwich, like bacon and eggs, like peanut butter and jelly, the Holy Spirit and the church, the church and the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, you've got John. Did Jesus leave John on the earth? look up into heavens for the vision? No. Jesus said, John, get up here. Where John goes, the church goes. John is representative of the church all the time. And we see the Holy Spirit of God in his fullness upon Jesus and his ministry. During this time, Basically, the, the age of grace is over. When people get saved through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the 144,000 and whoever else gets saved and the two witnesses and the angels, they will not be infilled with the Holy Spirit of God like we did. They will not be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. If that was the case, then they would still be restraining the enemy. But God has to remove them so that the enemy can do his, his dirty works, so that the enemy can do what God needs him to do. People will still get saved. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit of God. He's the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But it's going to be going back to the days when the Jews and the Holy Spirit came upon them for God's purpose, and then he left. There will be no infilling of the Holy Spirit upon tribulation saints. Well, we're running out of time. I want to pray for you guys. I hope you're enjoying this. You know, if you have any questions, you can email us at gospelguy at comcast.net, G O S P-E-L-G-U-Y at Comcast.net. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We pray for you. We pray the Holy Spirit of God and fire over you. We pray your peace, your wisdom. We pray the mind of Christ in you and out from you. In the name of Jesus, amen.